0: Boy, the Canadians, who have been so tight, suddenly loosened up with about a minute to go. And here comes Pallott over the line. Andre Pallott
1: loose for Hedman in front. Johnson scores!
2: You know that uh, during three things, we'll definitely we'll talk about the draft and we'll talk about the fight. And you know, I'll ask you questions like oh, I always right. do about right. what did you watch, what didn't you watch? This why, is a rough,
3: this is a rough week for that. <laughs>
2: all those kinds of things. But one thing I hope that you got to see, which was maybe the highlight of the entire weekend, which was a pretty good one for sports, was uh, the second round of the NHL draft, or excuse me, NFL draft. Uh, featured players from the teams picking coming out with the commissioner being introduced uh, and getting a golf clap from the crowd and making the teams pick uh, until the bills picked it was their first pick first chance they had to play in the draft 50th overall and uh jim kelly came out and it was awesome
3: yeah, yeah, the, I, I give the fans a lot of credit. The
2: Chicago fans, a smart, smart fan base there, right. showing some I, smarts.
3: I would hope that New York would have been the same way. I mean, I can't know. I'm not going to say they wouldn't just because it
2: wasn't there. But,
3: yeah, good on the fans. It was a real classy gesture. And Just uh, a
2: huge, huge ovation for him. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and he had his wife and his one daughter there, and they were uh, taping, uh, taping on the phones yeah, and taking yeah. pictures and – Just a great moment, and um, you know we laugh sometimes here about how Jim Kelly uh, wanted so badly not to be here that he went and played in another league. Yep. And then when he got here, he's more than anyone really never left and never stopped being the face of sports in Buffalo, and uh, he's become a symbol of what it means to be a Buffalonian, and certainly his toughness battling through cancer and and the Kelly tough thing is uh, a very Buffalo and and something I know I'm proud of, and I'm sure you are as well. And I wanted to make sure we mentioned just how cool that was and to thank anyone who listens from Chicago. And I know we have a bunch of Chicago listeners. Thanks to Ed Sherman. Uh, But um, that was, that was great. Yeah, it was very cool.
3: Um, It's hard to call any billion dollar organization. I mean, the bills are close to that. Any NFL team would be close to that. Like they almost feel like an, indie team in some ways and that like i don't know how much it is in other teams but jim kelly and thurman thomas these guys that were the greatest of the greats on the team are very active with what the team does still and they are very and that's opinionated a,
2: <clears throat> that's something we talked about on the last show with jenny Frances. yes because they yep. were a big part of that that article that she wrote about rex right you know it wasn't just about rex being here but rex being here and being welcomed by like you said jim Kelly and, and Thurman. Right. And
3: how Thurman felt about Doug Marone. And yeah. So, I mean, in a lot of, I mean, it stinks that they're terrible for so long, but, uh, when this team finally wins, it's going to be so awesome for the ex players and for the city. And, uh, it'll be cool. I mean, it's, it's great for everybody when their team wins, but there's just something, this team, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but they are super ingrained in the community. Yeah. The the Sabres and
2: both of them being bad at the same time. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, All right, let's start the show. It is Season 5, Episode 15, uh, May 7th-ish, 2015. Uh, Let's see. I I think I talk about it in the Book Club update, but I uh, recorded one interview Tuesday, one Wednesday, and we're doing this stuff on Thursday. We have Trey Wingo, and I think I said when I introduced him, for the second time, it's a mistake. It's actually his third time. Oh, okay. I didn't realize we've had Trey Wingo and... His nine hundred thousand Twitter followers in here three times already, uh, but it's a great, great thirty-five minute interview. One I'm very proud of. Turned out awesome, and mostly because of Trey. I usually you know get out of the way, but I sure I think I did set him up pretty well on a few things. And we always talk about how much we love the opportunity to get our boxing guy in because he's a beauty. I mean, he is what you would expect a guy who writes about boxing from Brooklyn to be like... You know what? I
3: always forget this guy's name. It's but, Michael Woods. Okay, I li- I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah,
2: because he's exactly what... Oh, yeah, he is oh, the yeah. boxing guy. The guy, you if you went into a gym with like 20 people boxing... And a Brooklyn guy, yeah. you said, right? Yeah, yeah. He's actually from Massachusetts, I guess, but he lives in Brooklyn now. Okay. So he's real, maybe a cross between a Boston and sure, New York Boston, guy. yeah, now. yeah. Uh, but he's going to join us to talk uh, in detail about... The fight and what it means for the guys and what it means for boxing and the credential stuff. Um, and we have a book club update today and then we'll finish with one last thing. So let's get started. A lot to cover in three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. One. All I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> this is the funnest
0: night ever. <laughs> <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep.
2: Now let's move on to other business. All right, we'll start with football. And I think I thought we'd spend most of this time talking about the draft. But oh. obviously, we have to talk about Tom Brady. Uh, because the report, I forget the guy's name. Wall, right? Who, that sounds right. its It's many pages. I think I heard 290 or something. I promise I won't be reading any of them. Uh but I guess the bolts and the nuts of it is is this guy kind of threw the blame on uh Brady.
3: Yeah, yeah, they found texts between uh a oh Wells, sorry, Wells. Wells, okay. Wells report. Yeah, uh a couple staffers, they have texts from him that I mean basically say that Brady knew and Boy, I was thinking about this coming over here, knowing we this would be a, a big topic of conversation. I've said a lot of times on this podcast, and I say this as a Buffalo guy that would have every reason to hate Tom Brady, just for being better than my team, that I think he might be the best ever based on how much he's done with how little. I mean, he had Moss there for a while, but that's essentially it ever. Uh, boy, I don't know what to do with this stuff.
2: Now, here's the thing I don't know. Because I just don't know. Is it an instance where everyone does this? Everyone does it, and, they just got and it really doesn't matter much, but Brady got caught. Right. Or is it an instance where no one really does it because it's against the rules, and Brady is brazen and arrogant and does it and gives an unfair advantage? Now, right. I've seen a lot of differing opinions. I've seen quarterbacks who say, look, it. This rule's dumb anyway. They should just let each quarterback decide how he wants the balls. Sure. Um, I've heard uh, quarterbacks say, listen, everyone does this. And I've heard quarterbacks say, I never did this. Right. This is crazy. So I don't know what the truth is. The more important thing is, what does Roger Goodell do? Yeah, that's
3: tough. I. And the thing I was saying about him being the best ever, you can connect some sort of scandal to every Super Bowl they've won now at this point. Right. It, 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 so, I mean, maybe maybe I don't call him the best ever. Any, I don't know. I, But, again, I'm thinking kind of, that was my thought, too, along the lines of what you're thinking. Is this like college football where uh, Ohio State or somebody is going to have some sort of recruiting scandal? And you know that they're just the only team that got caught that year, or that
2: yeah, that got caught that year, and it's like you can take the banner down, but we know who won it.
3: Sure, right? They had to, right? Right. So if everyone is, like we doing... we know
2: Reggie Bush won the Heisman that year, right? Just because they took just it, just because they took it back, it right. doesn't mean anything.
3: Uh, so yeah, if everyone is doing it, then maybe you just get rid of the rule. Uh, I never liked that college, so Strong. I mean the only one that college punishes is the players that stay at those colleges right essentially so I, I never liked that colleges as that in the NFL maybe he's gonna get a game maybe two games and no. that's significant the 16 game season I right?
2: have a duty here as a Saints fan to say wait a second right weren't we caught doing something that everyone was saying that everyone, everyone does. does right and isn't wasn't the word caught in that case used very loosely? Because we never really seen much evidence beyond a sound clip of the defensive coordinator right. saying Firing something up his team that sounded a lot like coach speak. Sure. It, so, it sounded guy, nasty, but like it, for our, all we
3: know, that stuff that goes on in every locker room before
2: every game. And our guy got one year off of the job for that. Right. So maybe Tom Brady deserves one year. I, I s- don't know if I believe that, but... I saw a report that said he could get maybe up he to should. a year. But,
3: I mean... He's going to get one or two games. Yeah, there's no chance. Bottom line, yeah.
2: He's getting one or two games. So the commissioner come out and say, we don't play favorites to Robert Kraft and the Patriots. We don't tolerate rule breaking. Tom broke a rule, and he's going to have to sit out a game and lose a game check or two, Uh, which in the end the Patriots will find a way to funnel that cash uh, back to Tom one way or another. And they they won a Super Bowl. And we'll all move on, and he's got his ring. right? And you're not going to take his ring for that. I mean, come on! Remember this scandal that was caught like in halftime, and they w- w- the score was like fourteen seven, and they won they won the game forty five seven.
3: Right, and they didn't tell anybody about it until after the game was
2: over. So, I mean, did they gain some massive advantage in the games? No. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Colts fans are sitting at home saying, "Oh, if only the balls were a little heavier, we would have won right. that." Yeah, I, I, I don't know how the NFL sad. does this. Maybe they go to
3: every quarterback in the league and ask them anonymous or even not anonymously. Just you... take,
2: just change the rule. Let the home team quarterback pick the weight in between a certain range or whatever. I mean, the kickers have and their own balls, on. right,
3: that are heated or whatever, however to yeah, the, the kicker's K-balls. liking. Right, like, just let the quarter. It, it, it does seem to me to be a dumb rule. Um, what type of advantage, I don't know. And I wonder, how many people do it, I, I don't know.
2: I wonder if it's a new world thing, too, in the sense, like, how much of – how much we have talked about or known about this? Say in 1972, before ESPN and NBC Sports and Fox Sports and 24 hours and dumb sports podcasts like this one. Right, right. You know, I don't know that answer, I, but
3: I wonder how much you hear about this if Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson doesn't happen earlier in that season. The NFL maybe just needs bad to year. crack down on something. They need to show
2: at least he knows. He gives him a game. He doesn't have to worry about a video coming out of him, like punching the ball boy. <laughs> right now, just do something and
3: move on. They're playing the first game of the season. Does what? Does that affect anything?
2: Oh, the Thursday night game. Yeah, is it going to be right? Garoppolo,
3: Roethlisberger in the Thursday night game.
2: Hey, maybe. I don't think you get to, to delay it to your first Sunday at one game. How
3: big a joke is it if they give him the uh, uh, what's his name? Kessel, the Phil Kessel treatment. Suspend him for the four games of the
2: preseason. That would be bad. <laughs> Especially since we know Tom Brady's involvement in preseason. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, I I I hope that the commissioner does the right thing and gives him one game or two.
3: They're, they're they're this league is so bulletproof. I I don't know what to think about it anymore. Like what are they gonna do? What what would what would be shocking to me? Like if he got a year, I guess I'd be shocked. If he got more he than two games, get I'd be shocked. Anything,
2: I can promise you that come Thursday, September, whatever, we'll still be all fired oh, up to watch that night. Absolutely. So, like you said, bulletproof. The other thing I want to talk about was the draft a little bit, and we're going to talk about it in detail with Trey Wingo, so we don't have to go too crazy. Uh, first thing I want to know, what would you watch?
3: None of it. Uh, I did see the – I turned on – All three days, nothing. I saw. I saw the Bills pick. So I saw like two or three picks before the Bills. I saw the Bills pick – I don't even remember the kid's name. I know he's a corner. Uh, I know some people think they reached on him. Whatever. I I don't know. Rex knows corners better than I do. So uh, I went to the Avengers sneak preview the night before, so I wasn't paying attention to. Uh, and I like I said, I didn't know what I was going to watch of it anyway. The draft. No, I did see the first two picks, and they went exactly the way they thought they would. So I was even not even that interested at that point. It's like, well, those are the two guys I really know from the draft. Uh that's where all the interest was. Was anyone gonna trade or move up or move back? And it didn't happen, so
2: well I did a blog on the first round for PPI. I have no idea if anyone read it. Uh but I can tell you that if you went through it, you realize I was bored. Yeah. You know, and my team had two picks in the first round, so it's not like I can complain. what they do? I don't even I don't even know. Well look at it. They had five picks in the first eighty. All Texas players. <laughs> no, <laughs> Uh, no no Texas players. But uh one was a quarterback in the third round. Okay. Which makes sense. He's a project. Sure. He's a guy who could easily sit two years and lose from learn from one of the greatest of all time and is, maybe is make Breeze a
3: pissed about it? No. Of course not. No, he's okay.
2: a great teammate. Sure. He'd be glad to teach this kid. It's not like he's Jameis Winston who's gonna be coming right, right. into battle for his job tomorrow. Right. No, I, I knew the answer to that question. Yeah. He's the highest quarterback they've ever picked since Archie Manning, second overall. Third round? Yeah. Wow. Which will probably tell you why we haven't had very many good ones. <laughs> wow. Uh, overall, I love what they did in the five picks. The problem is the first pick was a tackle named Pete, P-E-A-T, from Stanford. Okay. He's 6'7". He's huge. Uh, no, He was either the first best or second best tackle prospect on most boards. Okay. Okay. Uh, the problem is our left tackle is like a third-year superstar. Our right tackle is a 10-year player who is a captain and had his best year last year. Oh. And this kid is too big to play guard. And afterwards, Peyton said none of them are guards. So basically with the 13th pick, you picked a guy who's not going to play unless one of the guys in front of him is injured. Do you think that's I mean, telling? you don't play with three tackles, right?
3: Are they going to cut the 10-year guy? Or No? No. That is a weird pick then because that's a team built to win. Well, I shouldn't say that's a team built to win. That's a quarterback built to win now. So
2: It's a team that has done their business like we're retooling to try to win now. They're not right. in the middle of some massive rebuild. They made some deals that look like, hmm, are they redealing? retooling? And then the next day, they'd side C.J. Spiller and you'd sure. say, well, no, they're not. Right. Or then they'd side Brandon Browner and not. No, they were making a conscious effort to flip the locker room to get rid of some – some uh potential problems in the locker room. I know
3: you're not an expert, but I know you know college pretty well. Who would you have liked to see there?
2: Well, when the pick came up, I thought they would go one of three ways. Devonte Parker, the wide receiver from Louisville was still there, Okay. who was a consensus top 3 wide receiver. Everyone said to See ta- the guy
3: they didn't think would be there? I remember listening to interview. Well, I don't your, think they thought any of interview. them would be there. Okay, so they didn't think You know, they'd ever but be there. one of
2: the receivers was there. Um The number two corner, who would have been the number one corner if he didn't get kicked off his college team, was there, Marcus Peters. Although, I guess if you're trying to flip a locker room around, you're probably not going to pick a guy who got kicked off his college team. And then there was also a defensive end pass rusher there as well, which was a need. I thought wide receiver, edge rusher, and DB were the three biggest needs, and they had a guy... At all three spots that was available, and it seems to me they went a bit luxury. Yeah, that's that's odd. The second pick I liked. They picked an inside linebacker. He was the first one off the board. There was a bit of an argument over which of four guys was the best inside linebacker. So that means they picked the one they liked the best. Okay, I have no problem with that. Sure. Uh, they picked a um, in round two. Did they get DB at round two, or did they get edge rusher? One of the two linebacker i think in round two uh then they got the quarterback and a corner in round three so you know three of the five guys hopefully will be on the field and maybe you can trade a tackle maybe but you're not cutting either of those guys you're not cutting right armstead or streif so unless they get injured i don't know what this six seven beast does because he's too big for guard and, it's and a weird Peyton thing said they have no plans to make any of them play guard. I
3: mean, we've seen a couple football, like, quote, football trades in this past year. But usually when you do trade a veteran guy like that, it's like, I'll trade you my tackle for your fourth round pick type right. thing. Like, stuff that doesn't help this year at right. all. So
2: Yeah, so we'll see what uh, Trey had to say about the draft in general. I just wanted to get a few thoughts about our teams and find out what you watch because I'm always curious about that. Yeah. Moving on, NHL and NBA playoffs are on to round two since we've last been here. And I have to be fair because I will often talk, or we killed the NBA during the first round for how predictable their series were, how uninteresting, how only one team that wasn't a five seed even won a game. Right. Uh, I think eventually Milwaukee beat the Bulls a couple times, but they had one good series and that was uh, San Antonio and the Clippers. Which was actually a three six, I believe. Oh, okay. Uh, which was awesome. The game seven was great. I don't know if you got to see any of that.
3: I'm guessing no, no.
2: Um, but their first second round has been way better than the NHL. So yeah,
3: fun. the NHL is like, I think I talked a lot about how much the first round of the NHL playoffs is the just the best because it's hockey every night, almost from seven o'clock until long after you'd be in bed if
2: you live on the East Coast. But uh, yeah, the second round, I mean. Well, let's talk NBA first. Sure. All four of their series are 1-1. There you go. Uh, Washington got some bad news today. John Wall has several fractures in his hand. Uh, I'd assume if he's not available, the Hawks are going to be in the the third round. I don't know that Washington is going to be a good enough squad uh, to beat the number one seed without their superstar. I don't think any team in the league is usually good enough to beat the number one seed in your conference without your top player especially in basketball. Uh, Cleveland and Chicago was really a tale of Game 1 and Game 2, right? Cleveland uh, lost pretty handily, never let in Game 1. Then dominated Chicago in Game 2. Kevin Love and and what he might be able to offer, still a mystery there. Uh, Clippers in Houston. Clippers won Game 1 without Chris Paul. Tried to sneak a Game 2 without Chris Paul. Had the game in hand. Let it slip away. 1-1 there. And then Memphis got a game... In Golden State, Stephen Curry was named the MVP of the league somewhere in there as well. Four series, all 1-1. At some point soon, we're going to get someone who knows more about this with (laughs) us uh, to talk about it. The NHL, almost the opposite. Uh, Three of the four series are 3-0 or 3-1. And the other one, Calgary and Anaheim, as our poor buddy Kenny uh, suffers up in Calgary, uh, is 2-1. Uh, thanks to a last-second goal by Johnny Gaudreau, and then an overtime winner in Game 3. Did
3: they play Bennett? Yes. I know there was a
2: cutoff, so he's... He's used his year. And what happened, too, a really interesting part of the game the other night. So basically, the, all the home teams... Well, let me rephrase that, because Montreal's a home team. Yeah. Uh, the first two games in each arena, uh, Chicago, 2 nothing, going to Minnesota... Anaheim, 2-0 going to Calgary. The, the Lightning, 2-0 going home. And then the Rangers was 1-1 going to Washington.
3: That's probably the best series,
2: right? It's the Rangers and Washington? I guess. Yeah,
3: they're all so defensive all of a
2: sudden. Uh, Patrick Kane is dominating. Well, maybe not that serious. We but. said that the Patrick Kane in game one of the playoffs wouldn't be nearly as good. As the one that would play the last game of the playoffs, right, and
3: that's bad news if you're the rest of the league. And
2: that is showing true. He has a game in a point in every game, but the first one or uh, but one of them, um, he had two the first game, so that wasn't the one he got shut out.
3: Yeah, he's probably the Con Smythe winner. Right well, now, Tyler, Johnson. Tyler Johnson, right? yeah, he'd
2: be the West winner right. if we gave a West winner. Uh, Chicago won Game Three on a sole Patrick Kane goal that held up. Crawford was good. That series is over. We'll see you in the Conference Finals. Uh, Calgary, uh, like I said, fought back on the goal and the overtime winner. We Let's see what they do tonight, but I don't think they're beating Anaheim. Yeah, I, just, I think very much we have Anaheim versus Chicago on a collision course side. I
3: don't think Calgary is that good, and they kind of got through the first round. It's kind of what I thought about Montreal.
2: What they are doing that we expected from some other Canadian teams is feeding off the big, huge Canadian crowd and proving very difficult to beat at home. Yeah, um, Montreal lost two at home. And had a crusher last night. Yep. We played the highlight. One second left. Thala Johnson scores. Nothing Carey Price could do about it. Carey Price has been very good. Been, yeah, They're not scoring any goals. He's
3: had one bad game. Well, maybe two. In the entire playoffs, essentially. He's been great. But we had this talk before. Like You kind of said, like I said Montreal's just not that good a team. And you said Carey Price is part of the team. And that's true. And he's essentially the whole team right now. You
2: might be right about they how good they were. You, you, I think you were... I have to admit, you were. through. They played a team in the first round who clearly was out of gas. Right. And they. And they took advantage of that. Since
3: the second game of the playoffs for Montreal, they haven't scored more than two goals in a game. And that's with two overtime games in there. So. Right. They. Carey Price can't score goals. I mean, he, he he's doing everything. He's standing on his head in some games that he, he just can't score goals. Too. Speaking
2: of standing on their head, uh, Holtby. Uh, is leading the Capitals through this round. Yeah, it's not like Ovechkin necessarily dazzling us. It's some of the other Russians on the Capitals that are scoring some big goals. Uh, but the Rangers can't score. You got a chance to tie the game on a penalty shot in the third period last night. Uh, it was Hagelin, I believe. Can't do it. Gets uh, stopped on the glove glove hand. Um, that was a split in New York. Now it's three to one. They're going to go back to New York on Friday. And uh, the Rangers need to win to extend it. Uh, I think that I'd be really surprised if we're not talking about Calgary versus Anaheim and Tampa Bay versus Washington. Yeah. So let's just assume we are. You want to make a quick pick on those two and make a really cheating cup pick? What's what do you mean? Well, I mean if if I gave you the opportunity to pick the cup final now, oh, as opposed okay. to before well, anything started, I'm you trying got to log into my
3: bracket and I can't remember my password apparently but I think I've been right on and I'm not going to change my predictions so far. I mean I haven't won every series but you had
2: Tampa Chicago, right? I think I had Tampa Chicago. Yeah, and I had Chicago, New York, which looks like it's in trouble. Um it if New York gets beat by the Capitals, I'm going to say this is Ovechkin's year to play in the cup and we'll see Ovechkin versus Kane.
3: Yeah, I had Tampa so Chicago. Yeah, I actually had every series no, I had Vancouver. But I had them losing in this round, so and I had Ottawa, so that's, that's where I was wrong. But yeah, so I'll stick with Tampa-Chicago. I had Tampa winning that. Um, I don't know that Tampa looks to be as good of a team as I thought they were. Maybe they're a team that's like one or two years away from just being really, really good. With all the young talent they have there, but I mean, I still think they can get to the finals. And yeah,
2: they haven't but. gotten necessarily anything from Jonathan Drouin yet, right? That's what I mean. But I, what he is getting is a lot of great experience, sure, in the playoffs, you know. And I bet he still has a, a big goal in him. Yeah, I saw so. a
3: tweet. I probably even said this before, but that it's going to be funny when Tampa, Buffalo, and someone like Florida are dominating the East in the next few years. Just non, just strange. Ho- not right. like Buffalo is a strange hockey market, but you know what I mean.
2: Last thing was just I want to talk for a second about. Pacquiao Mayweather, not too long because we're going to do plenty of it with Michael Woods, but yeah, you didn't watch it.
3: No, I wasn't paying for this.
2: Did you make any effort to watch it? Did you try to get a crew together? Did you look into uh, options outside the house? You know, we didn't Did talk it,
3: about it at all as
2: the derby was that day too. Uh, okay. And, and it was a great one, a really exciting derby. Yeah. Uh, my and buddy, I'm sure we'll talk more about it. Cause I think that horse has a chance to, to do something. this Sure. Spring.
3: My, my buddy, Bob came over and on his way, he, uh, asked my daughter to pick a horse so that was molly's first gambling experience so that was fun she picked a horse she had her little ticket and we put her in a dress and a big hat and she did she win no she had picked frosted probably because it sounds like Uh, frozen. tammy wanted frosted too it's a fourth fourth. yeah Yeah, did a good run i pushed a little bit late there but uh yeah so it was fun um i don't get into the derby really much at all but for Two minutes. I like it. Uh, two minutes and a few bets. I like the races. You, you the know what I think. You know what I think makes me not into the Derby is I remember a while back I was uh, I might have still been living with my mom at the time, but my uncle, my uncle Larry, he's like my grandmother's brother, so whatever, whatever he would be to me. He came over and this is early. And we started watching Derby stuff just leading up to the race. He showed me all his tickets and everything that he had bet on it. But this was like four hours before the race, like it starts. You wanted to watch all the so preambles far ahead yeah. of time, so I'm like, wow, you there's bored. a lot of build up to this two minutes. But if you just watch the actual race and
2: yeah, I heard it was on at 6:44. I turned the TV on at 6:40. I turned it off at 6:55. Right. right,
3: yeah. So for that type of event, you can make a couple bets. That's a lot of fun. But uh-
2: the thing I don't like about the Derby is I don't know anyone yet, and we don't have anyone going for the Triple Crown yet. Right. That's the only thing. Like, I usually like the next two more because we have a horse the that we're rooting for. The horse season
3: is so weird, too, uh, the horse raising season, because it starts with, like, this monster event. And then it's, like, over as far as, like, the public is concerned. Yeah, it's five weeks, right? Yeah, races right. In It's five really weeks. fast. So, uh, but, yeah, so that was fun. And then I did a lot of yard work outside of that, and I was, I was burnt. I mean, had someone come over that wanted to or had someone like been really excited about going were somewhere? you
2: awake when it ended probably one o'clock eastern time i would guess no no if i was i was probably with a kid my brother made it really easy for me to watch this he texted me a few days before and said i'm ordering the fight come over if you want oh okay, Greg got it yeah so i went over to his house i paid nothing to see it they have a party Yeah, had a little party there was maybe 10 12 people there i made up a game to bet on the fight okay and i won there you go so it's great <laughs> This was the game, and I'll give this to everyone to play, and then we're going to move on. But there was 10 people there who wanted to uh, play in okay. the gambling. So we listed 10 possible outcomes for the fight. Draw, uh, DQ, which was the worst ticket, obviously, because there's not a lot of DQs, but you okay. got to have it in there sure. in case someone eats someone's ear. Right. Uh, so we had draw, DQ, Pacquiao decision, Mayweather decision, and then we had six possible knockouts. Pacquiao one to four, Pacquiao five to nine, and uh or five to eight, Pacquiao nine to twelve, and then the same for Mayweather. And I made the cards, so I didn't pick one, and the last one I picked up was Mayweather Decision. Uh Mayweather Decision was the outcome. I won all the money. Sweet. That was brilliant, right? Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you can make up a game that ends with you winning money from the game, you made a great game.
3: Did everyone immediately assume you somehow cheated? Well, no, because I didn't pick a card. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought you meant like you were drawing them up. No, there was
2: 10 of them. You
3: drew them out of a hat or something.
2: And I laid them all out on the ground, face down, let nine people pick one, and I took what was left.
3: I am all about things that are made into events. Like so, that sounds like it was fun. Like I would have done something. Yeah, like Yeah, we ate Duffs. Yeah, dust. so sure, that would have. They been drank. Cool. I would have had watched. Drink, it. But right. people drank. I've, I've done stuff for UFC events. Not that I don't like the UFC, but I don't seek it out necessarily. I don't. I'm not glued to it. I don't have a favorite guy or anything. But that type of thing, if it's an event, is cool.
2: All right. Trey Wing goes next. Then was, the book that was, club. That was lengthy. It was. Trey Wing goes next. Then the book club. Michael Woods will finish with one last thing. Our next guest is from Greenwich, Connecticut, and is a graduate of Baylor. Uh, He's making his second appearance on the podcast just a few days now after covering another NFL draft for ESPN, where he does that among many, many other things. A warm sportscasters welcome to Trey Wingo. How are you doing today, Mr. Wingo? Hey, Steve. How are you, man? Doing very good, very good. What was Chicago like? Uh, Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle as far as uh, the draft moving from New York and being somewhere else this year?
0: Uh, For me, it was 100% thumbs up. Uh, It was neat to go somewhere and see how much excitement uh, there was for the draft. and uh, The neat thing about it, too, day three was done completely outside, which was a lot of fun. And Thankfully, the weather broke because Thursday it was a little chilly, but Saturday was sunny and 70 degrees in Chicago and Grant Park. It was spectacular.
2: Did you get any kind of sense, and I, I don't know how you would, I have no idea, it's just a shot in the dark, do you get any kind of sense that this is something they want to experiment more with more now that it seems like oh, it was a success, or do you kind of ex- expect them to go back to New York, or do you get any feeling there in any way? I, I don't know why you would, but...
0: Yeah, I, I think that the NFL is very intrigued by the idea of putting the circus on the road. And let's be honest, that's what the draft is. It's a circus, you know, it's a, it's a show. And uh, for, we had, they had, on Saturday alone, I think 70,000 people came down to what was called Draft Town and, you know, Selection Square there in Grant Park. So, you know, if you have a space like that where you can turn it into something, I mean, they blocked off blocks of Michigan Avenue, you know, and that, that, that would never happen in New York. They would never be able to do that uh in the area around Radio City musical. Look, well, Radio City's great, don't get me wrong, but the electricity in Radio City is, is through the roof because of the just the history in the building. Um, I would say the, the 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 atmosphere inside Roosevelt Auditorium, the Roosevelt Auditorium or the Auditorium. We got this whole memo on how to say it. The auditorium at Roosevelt University or the Auditorium in Chicago. The was a big part of it anyway you looked at it. Um, it was it wasn't as as electric, I think, as the uh as radio to the city, but the overall draft experience and taking it on the road, I think was a, a home run for the NFL.
2: You got to think too, that there's some owners uh, who are looking around at that thinking we need this in, in our city. Like there's oh, yeah. no
0: question. I mean, listen, I, I, you know, I think that when they first experimented with the idea or brought up the idea of maybe taking the draft on the road, they, they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know the feedback or the reaction. And, you know, they had like nine or 10 cities bid on it. You know, I think in a perfect world, uh, let's see. Last year was New York. This year was middle of the middle of America. Wouldn't surprise me if we're somewhere on the West coast next year or maybe uh, back in Chicago. Cause I, I think the way the contract was set up, they had a two or three year option. You know, I don't know when they would do it or, you know, if they had to do it two years in a row, but I, I think everyone in the NFL was thrilled with the way it worked out in Chicago.
2: Yeah. The West coast makes a lot of sense. So does Chicago again. I, I think what makes the most sense is maybe not New York right away to, 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 to kind of uh build on this a little bit but i'm glad to hear that you liked it so much because just as someone f- who is uh watching from home it looked like a bigger event than it does yeah. at radio city music hall for some reason
0: well everything gets swallowed up in new york i yeah. mean even the super bowl that was in new york i mean it was a big deal but you know, most new yorkers just wanted them to get out <laughs> you know you were blocking up traffic uh it was a big event in a big city that embraced it completely, and it, it had a really big feel to it. I mean, that, the whole draft town thing was spectacular. You know, they, they found a reason besides sitting in the room or sitting in the auditorium and listening to draft picks to have people come to Chicago and be a part of the draft. That whole draft town outside was, was a huge success with Selection Square and everything. Look, the draft in and of itself is two things. From a, from a football perspective, it's how you build your team. But it's really an event. It's a television show. And and they found a way to make it, in my opinion, a bigger television show by taking it on the road.
2: You mentioned it being a television show, and for a couple of years, the problem people had with the television show was the people producing it tipping off what was going to happen in the television show. And it seems like, for the most part, okay, obviously we're not getting shots in the green room of guys on the phone anymore. Then the next problem was, well... Too many people are spoiling it on Twitter. So poor guys like Jason and Fora, who's a really nice friend of ours, and Adam Schefter, guys just doing their job. They took the hit. You guys are spoiling it. The new that problem this year was that the picks weren't being made quick enough, that there was a backlog of sometimes. I know that the uh, Patriots pick, the last one of Thursday, had to be in for at least 20 minutes before um, it was it was uh, it was announced. Now this is a very this is a very first world problem for sure. All of these things I mentioned are, but um, do you think uh, that this is going to be something now that someone else is going to take a hit for, or do you think this is uh, that what we saw was the draft version of extra point commercial kickoff commercial pick? If, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, uh, I think that may be a very accurate way of putting it. Look. Uh, there's, I mean, at one point they were, I think in a, specifically in the first round, six or seven picks deep uh, as, as, as the picks were in. And, you know, local uh, media, and I think some of the teams, uh, inadvertently or not, were, were sort of uh, letting that filter out and they weren't supposed to. Um, but, look, that's always going to happen. You know, I never had a huge problem with tipping the picks. I mean, to me, uh, seeing a kid's reaction – knowing that he's been drafted 30 seconds before the commissioner made his official call and announced his name. I didn't see that as a, like a huge problem. Other people clearly did, but you know, and that's sort of the way it went and that's fine. And that's how it has to happen. That's how it has to happen. I was never offended by it. You know, I was like, Oh, I can't believe we're showing. to me. I think it's, you know, we're, we're, we're talking in real time about 30 seconds max between uh, you know, the, showing somebody getting the call in the green room, and then Commissioner Goodell going to the podium. So I, I didn't see what the huge uproar about it was, but if that's the way it has to be, that's the way it has to be.
2: And maybe the all-time uh, most famous uh, tip, or at least uh, visual of the on the phone, wasn't even uh, was when the uh, agent called Magee, and that was like yeah. a setup. So the agents got to be uh, disappointed; they can't pull that trick anymore. That was one of the best. That, was... that that's why Drew is Drew. Yeah, we yeah,
0: we told him that was me. Just I said answer your phone. Act like someone's calling you. And it worked.
2: <laughs> it did. <laughs> Poor Buffalo. Um the uh the other thing that and, and man, I have this really kind of intertwined web of questions that I I hope I'm talented enough to get out to you. And it kind of starts with the idea of the guys coming out of the green room and meeting the commissioner. And uh, the way that they embrace has suddenly become an issue. I've always thought it's a pretty cool thing. The guy who runs the league is is welcoming the guy in the league. But some people have made some good points about maybe that there could be a conflict of interest there where it's really the guy who runs the league is meeting a guy he might have to punish in the league and – I don't know that the Commissioner would ever say, Man, I gotta decide on this punishment, but man, he, he hugged me really well at the draft. I don't know if I can go four games here, but do you have any problem with uh the commissioner and the way he interacts uh with the guys on the stage and on the television program?
0: Well, let me let me make a couple of points there. First of all, the idea that Roger Goodell wouldn't suspend someone maximum because of the hug he got is ridiculous. I mean I'm not saying that you're saying that. I'm no, I was being sarcastic, here. yeah
2: making fun of it you're, as well he, you're hearing
0: that that i think that's absurd i think the commissioner and the nfl has shown they're going to suspend and find whoever they want whenever they want even if it's in complete direct contrast to the actual rules of the shop whether it's adrian peterson or ray rice so i don't think that has any bearing in it whatsoever to me i always get a kick out of it because i why well, I watch this big hug and he's so happy i'm like yeah that's the guy that's going to be taking your money one of these days <laughs> so i see it the exact opposite uh, Roger doesn't care. The NFL doesn't, I mean, that's not gonna, by, by saying don't care, I don't mean that he doesn't care about the person. I mean, he's gonna do what he's gonna do. You know, it's a, it's a neat thing, and it's, it's a, you know, Danny Shelton basically picked him up and threw him over his shoulder this sure year. Sure did, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think it's funny, and, uh, you know, I, I have no problem with it whatsoever, I and mean, I can assure anyone out there that there will be no conflict of interest based on a hug. The NFL is gonna find whoever they damn well want, whenever
2: they damn well want. Yeah, we're absolutely on the same page. There. And I think it does give the commissioner a chance to look a little human because he doesn't get that chance that often. Well, I, I, you know, he, he contributes to that. He with, does, with, he does, for sure. Yeah, And,
0: you know, I, I give Roger a lot of credit on one sense because, you know, literally since the lockout year of 2011 when the draft was held while the lockout was still going on, every year when he goes up there, they blew the heck out of him, man. Yeah, I mean, Gary Badman treatment literally for every pick uh he is getting booed so you know it's it, it it can't be the most fun he's ever had um but you know he goes out there and does it anyway
2: yeah it's like the uh the gary bettman slash john cena treatment although i guess john cena usually at least has half the people cheering but um this is something i was thinking about a lot this year uh i'm a big saints fan and uh which is strange being from buffalo but it's a long story i promise it's uh it's a legit one. Uh, but um, the Saints were very clear this year about their their uh, their hope to change the locker room, that that was important to them. I think that might be a big reason Kenny Stills was traded, although I'm just speculating on that. The point is, is that as it got closer to pick 31, and I know what pick 13 had been, obviously, part of me started to uh, hope they would do something I knew they weren't, and that was going to pick a guy like Gregory, who mm-hmm. I had to assume was off their draft board based on what they had said. yet yeah, and, I, and I agreed with them. Uh, and that's just me making an assumption based on the, the information they were letting out. Right. Uh, but as it got closer, I started myself thinking not about how smart that was but about how much he could help the team on the field for winning games. I got caught up in the other part of the guy. And, um, and that's not for me to judge that guy because I don't know anything really about his situation. But as the draft goes on, fans are forced to make these judgments. Um, eventually, the Cowboys pick that guy, uh, Gregory, and there was other guys, other fan bases. And we talk a lot about on this show about how the NFL puts fans in a position uh, to, to make these decisions between rooting for what they see on the field against what might be happening with some of those guys off the field. And the draft is a real illuminator for this. And I hope that this is a question, but what is your reaction to to that and how it plays out in the draft?
0: Well, The question being, where should a fan's tipping point be from we're willing to accept something uh, to, if it helps us win football games?
2: Yeah, I think the draft really brings that out more than anything. And I felt it a lot this year as that pick came up, knowing, okay, this is a guy that maybe is part of what RGM has said that we need to change about the team. But as we get closer to it, I'm buying into the excitement of the highlights in the videos and I'm turning my head away from it. Uh, In the second round, again, uh, with with Beckham, I'm thinking of a guy who's... uh, obviously accused of some more serious maybe crimes than Gregory and thinking yeah but man he could get deep and Brees could get under that it's like the league's always forcing you unintentionally to make these judgments and it plays out uh very very significantly at the draft I guess
0: well you know I'm not sure the league is forcing that I think that that's every fans of sort of own assessment there are some guys you know You know, when Lawrence Phillips was drafted in 1995 or 96, I I think it was 96.
2: Yeah, that sounds right.
0: Georgia Frontier, God bless her soul, had the great line, I don't care what he does as long as he helps us win football games. And, of course, Lawrence Phillips is now in jail and was just charged with murdering his cellmate while in jail. So, you know, that guy was all kinds of a train wreck and all kinds of trouble. Um, And I think there's been a definite shift towards thinking about that more thoroughly for every team. But at the end of the day, every team and every fan should have a line of demarcation. And I can't tell you where that is for you. And I can't tell where it is for anybody else listening to this. All I know is where it is for me. What are you willing to put up with to handle someone who you think can help you win football games? I mean, general manager of the Cardinals, Steve kind this year said, if animal electric could run a four three, we'd probably say he had an eating disorder uh and that's everyone has that line you know the Seahawks are going to have their the Seahawks right now are are answering some very difficult questions uh because you know John Schneider their GM went on a radio and said we thoroughly vetted Frank Clark and we would never uh the defensive end out of, out of Michigan uh you know we would never have someone on our team that hit a woman well lo and behold all they had to do was read the police report and it says pretty clearly that's what happened and uh you know so now he's having to answer a lot of questions and you every team has their reasons and every team has their line. uh, And they have to live with that Uh, as a fan. I can't tell you where your line is. That's something you have to live with. You know, I I think everybody has to come up with that in their own mind and be comfortable with it.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, we were all, Faced with that dilemma just a few hours later on Saturday as well. And and this is why, in my head, it was a tangled up web. And I said, I I hope that I could tie it all together. I don't know if I'm talented enough to do it. But, you know, I was watching the situation with Michelle Beadle play out on Saturday. Yeah. And uh, feeling annoyed for her and uh, also feeling feeling bad for her. But yet, I was in a room full of a bunch of guys, a few girls, uh, watching the fight. Interestingly enough, uh, several people in the room were cheering uh, for Pacquiao specifically because they were angry at the way Mayweather has treated women in the past. They they said that directly. And Michelle Beadle uh, tweeted very interestingly, I thought. She's uh, someone who's a lifelong wrestling fan, tweeted that right. Triple H's support of Mayweather maybe has turned her off from being a wrestling fan. And these choices are always uh, there for us. Um, and they're really difficult uh, to navigate and obviously even for uh, for members of the media. But the question, I guess, for you uh, is what did you think of the way things played out with Beatle and Nichols and how did that affect you personally uh, as someone who has to – Maybe not specifically for your job as to cover the fight, but uh, as a, as a guy who who talks about sports and ESPN, did you, did you feel an obligation to watch it? Did it turn you? Did it push you away from it at all? How did that situation change your mind about Mayweather and Pacquiao, if at all?
0: Well, just to, for clarification and, and sure. complete, uh, yeah. you know, uh, candor here, regardless of what happened with Michelle and Rachel Nichols, who I both consider friends, I wasn't watching the fight anyway. Uh, that, that a was busy, a decision right? I made uh, oh, okay. and and I didn't watch the fight and I really quite honestly didn't care, um, about the fight. Uh, it, it wasn't it a big event. Absolutely. Should it have been covered? Absolutely. Uh, and I, I think that ESPN, I thought did a did a fairly balanced job of covering the fight as a fight, but also covering, you know, what, what is a really ugly past with Floyd Mayweather, and, you know, Floyd went on with Rachel Nichols once on her program on CNN and basically said if there's no pictures, there's no proof, which is just a, a horrendous thing to say. Basically saying if you can't prove it with pictures, I guess it really didn't happen. Even though if you read the police report, his own son says, I saw my father hit my mother. So, you know, he, he has to live with saying things like that and maybe he's okay with it and that's fine. I don't, I don't want to be really around that at all. Um, but I, I made a decision long ago that I just wasn't going to be in on the fight. Uh, not, I mean, it was Floyd Mayweather's, uh, uh, record of being, uh, w- abuser of women part of it, maybe, but I, you know, I'm not as big of a boxing fan as I used to be anyway. Um, and this fight should have happened six years ago. So that, that's another reason I thought we were watching something that would have been great in 2008. it uh, was the way I, I, sort of approached the entire fight. They, they it took too long to get there for me to really be hyped up about it. And as far as what happened Saturday with Ms. Michelle and Rachel, that's ridiculous, and it's horrible, and it's insane, and it should never happen. No one should ever be banned from covering a fight because one or, or any sporting event because one party doesn't like the way they handled something. And that's the bigger issue with boxing. That would never happen in a league-sanctioned event like, say, the NFL or Major League Baseball or the NBA because there is a league in place. There is a structure in place that's saying, you can't do that. Well, in boxing, apparently you can, and that's crazy.
2: And it's interesting how maybe Michelle found her line uh, when it comes to the WWE on Saturday and decided she couldn't be on the the one side of it. Uh, You found your line at some point in regards to the fight and maybe a bunch of NFL fans after the draft this weekend will now have to decide where they are on their line as their team change and and new people come in with various uh, problems and... um, and I guess that's what I was trying to tie all together. I, I don't know if I succeeded or not, but I, really, uh, what, I appreciate you know, the candor. Why not
0: succeeding? I mean, it's an interesting topic and yeah. certainly
2: one that intertwined with the draft
0: with uh, with Frank Clark and a couple of other players in that draft. And, you know, the, the situation that LSU offensive line, Lael Collins, finds himself yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, and also it spilled over into uh, into what was uh, the end of what was going to be a really big day in sports. And I, I thought it was funny, you know, the build up all day. We had the draft, we had playoffs in the Major League Baseball, and we also had NHL and NBA playoffs, you know, Major League Baseball regular season. And then uh, the, the Kentucky Derby, and then the big finish. The big finish was the fight, and the fight might have been the thing that let everybody down simply because it was a, you know, from what I hear, I didn't see it, didn't see a second of it. Uh, everyone says it wasn't worth the money.
2: No, 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 not at all. Dollar for dollar. I mean, if I had to put a, I watched every second of it. um, And no, it wasn't worth the money. But uh, it was what I expected. I I think I, I just just said, you know, I thought that if Mayweather would win, it'd probably be pretty boring.
0: Well, that's Uh, the thing, too. That's the way he fights. Yeah, I've seen him before. He's not not an aggressive, I mean, that's not the way he does it. He makes you miss and then counter punches. And I'm saying I'm not saying he's not successful at it. Clearly he is, but to me, if I want to put down the big money on a fight, I want to I want to know that they're going at it. You know, I want to see I want to see some lumber. And I just knew that that wasn't going to happen in that fight. I didn't know, but that was my you know, that was my best guesstimation.
2: You made a good one. The sports cat here with Trey Wingo. A few minutes left. Uh I don't want to get too far in the weeds on that obviously. And one of the hardest things to do in sports, especially Uh, The Tuesday after it is deciding how well a team did at a at the NFL draft. But uh, just your feel. uh, Who do you think uh, really did a good job this weekend? Who helped themselves? Well,
0: that's one of the reasons why the draft is great, because let's be honest. Nobody's wrong right now. No, there's not a single person that's wrong. Like, you know, even go back and look at, uh, you know, 2012. When Andrew Luck went one and RG3 went two and RG3 was Rookie of the Year, everyone thought, oh, Washington made a great move getting all those picks, giving all those picks to St. Louis to go up and get RG3. He's the Rookie of the Year. He's he's set up now. He's their quarterback of the future. And he comes into 2015 very much on the fence of possibly being cut by the time this season is over if he doesn't contribute. So you're right. You can't judge a draft in any way, shape, or form. But to me, the way you do it now Did they make the correct picks at the correct time based on what everybody's evaluation was? And the reason I say that is, look, Russell Wilson went as a third round pick. If I had to do it over again, he probably would have been the second quarterback, maybe the first quarterback taken, although I still think Andrew Luck would have been taken in 2012. But the, the, the prevailing theory on Russell at that time was, hey, really great leader, really great player. We're not sure if his measurables are going to add up. That's why it made sense to take him in the third round and not in the first round. So, uh, you know, hindsight is, is, is always very easy. I, I, think, I think the people that get into trouble in the draft are people that take information that's available to everybody and decide that they think it's completely different. And, and, and they're, going to trans, they're, going to, they're going to process it that way. Don't take a guy at 15 that you could probably get at 30. Um, and that's sort of the way you get value in the draft. That's why Mel and Todd are always talking about value picks and, and evaluating the draft. You know, I, I really, I really liked what the Bears did. And to me, there's three teams that, four teams that really killed it. It was the Bears, the Jets, the Seahawks, and the Ravens. The Ravens always kill it. Ozzie, you know, right. you look at Odell some record. Yeah, they're always going to be good. They're always going to be good. And, and I like what the Jets did specifically. Um, and, and, and with the Jets and Seahawks, I, I think you have to factor in the picks they traded and the players they got. I mean, Seattle used their pick to get Jimmy Graham, right? That's Jimmy their Grant first round arguably could be the best player in this entire draft. Right. Just won that way. So I think that's why I think Seattle did a good job. There's a risk with Frank Clark in the second round. No question. But when you look at the bears and, and the way it fell to them in the first round, they get Kevin White. There's your replacement for Brandon Marshall next to Alshon Jeffrey. In the second round, they get a defensive tackle that had a first round grade on him, and Eddie Goldman out of Florida State. So, do I know Freddie Goldman's going Goldman's to be great? No, but I know the people that graded him thought he was first round talent, and you got him in the second round. Then they got a kid who I just love, the, the guard center out of Oregon, Hiranis uh... His story is ridiculous what his family went through to, to immigrate to this country from Romania. And, you know, Eastern Europeans like Chicago, they tend to do very well in that city. So I think Grasseux is going to be a tough, sturdy guy on that offensive line. And then they get eventually, perhaps, uh, Matt Forte's replacement and Jeremy Langford in the fourth round. Remember, Forte is going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. This is the second straight year that the Bears have taken a running back in the fourth round, and Lankford was basically Le'Veon Bell's guy who, you know, replacing him at Michigan State, who was very productive. So I really like the Bears draft. I liked it a lot.
2: It's funny you mentioned the Jets, as I I just thought, oh man, so many years that we've uh We've had, they're, 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 we've had the, the reaction shots, the stunned, oh, no, what are we doing? And I had imagined that Radio City would have flipped out pretty pretty hard when Leo's name was called because that was – I was shocked. I don't know if you were – I don't know maybe shocked is extreme, but I was really surprised he was there for them at six and even though maybe – Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: He was technically the best player on the draft, both, according to both Mel and Todd, in terms of overall talent. He's only 20 years old.
2: Right. And I mean, he gets in many six. ways –
0: He's the defensive line equivalent of Tyron Smith. The Cowboys drafted Tyron Smith, the offensive tackle, a few years ago at the age of twenty. Big, huge young body, and look what he's turned into, the linchpin left tackle on arguably the best line in football. And now you add Leonard Williams to a line that is so deep anyway. And and it gives them protection too, because remember Muhammad Wilkerson's trying to looking for a new deal. Well, you know, his leverage might be good, down. Le- <laughs> yeah, you know, might be not as much as he thought now they get Leonard Williams in there. So uh, yeah, I just, I really like what the Jets did. And it's funny you say that. There was a local sportscaster in Chicago who went around and pretended like he was a Jets fan, booing everything on Michigan Avenue from a baby to a bagel to That's a hot dog. That's hilarious. Four or five <laughs>
2: his it went on a little too long, it was like a four-minute bit, but it was it was pretty funny. They were just booing everything. <laughs> that is funny. Uh, selfishly, because I do this, it's my show real quick. What did you think of the five picks the Saints made before 80? Uh, I'm sorry. What was that last part? Uh, the, the Saints they had five picks basically before pick 80. How did you think they did with the five picks?
0: I, I think they did all right. You know, I, I I thought Pete might have been a little bit of a reach at yeah. 13.
2: I didn't like uh, that pick. That was yeah, one I didn't and, like.
0: And, and I, I will say that the, the kid they got uh, at the end of the back in the first round, the, the linebacker out of uh, Clemson, right? Yeah, yeah, Stephon so, Anthony, Anthony. I mean, yep. I was reading up on him, and I really liked something that uh, Coach Sweeney said about him. Uh, he, he said, "Look, he had instant success, and then he got fat and happy, and he turned that around. And uh, after his sophomore year, and became a, a permanent captain. Now, to me, uh, that's a, that's a sign of a great pickup. And I love Huali Kikaha. Yeah, uh, in in the second round, this is a guy who you know. T- uh, you know Mel likes to talk upside and value, uh, and and Todd's big thing is speed to power, like Bud Dupree." He has great speed, but he doesn't see him finishing with a lot of power. Haloli Kikaha, whose real name is Jamora, by the way, and there's a whole story about why he changed it. Uh, his, uh, his real issue is speed. I mean, he, he'll finish. Now, he has two torn ACLs in the same knee, and You have to worry about that. Uh, but they get Kikaha. Then you get Garrett Grayson, who's going to sit for a couple of years uh, out of Colorado State, you know, that quarterback behind Drew Brees. And, you know, you have to start thinking about the future. Uh, and you know, he's a developmental guy. PJ Williams, the, the corner out of Florida State, um, you know, there's some baggage there. I had a couple of incidents with, uh, DUIs and driving issues. And Marcus Murphy, I know this is crazy, but in the seventh round was an interesting pick. He's a really, I don't want to say he's Darren Sproles, but he's Darren Sproles like, um, you know, he, uh, he had, I think, four or five touchdowns in one game this year against Florida. And he was the only offensive player to score in every way an offensive player could score a touchdown this year, which is running, receiving, kick return, and punt return. He's not—he's not, he's not Darren Sproles fast, but he's shifty, he's small, and he's going to give you something big in the return game.
2: I always trust Mickey Loomis late, and with the unrestricted guys, he's maybe got as good of a record as anyone in the league at that portion of the draft. You know, I, I was just—the uh, it's not about Pete. I just thought he's a guy six seven. He can't play guard. Uh, they have a great left tackle. Uh, they have a, a right tackle who is a 10-year vet, a captain, his best two seasons last two. This isn't crazy about that. Two quick, two quick things I want to get to real quick, and I'll let you go. We talked about this the last time you were on, about how much people uh, love Trey Wingo, the draft host. Uh, love that guy. That guy is huge on the internet, and not it's hard to be popular on the internet. But Trey Wingo, the draft guy, off the charts. How did uh, Trey Wingo, the person, think Trey Wingo, the draft guy, did this year uh, covering the draft?
0: Well, that's nice of you to say. Um, I, I can show you my Twitter followers who may disagree with some of those things. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> uh, I, I, always, I always go back and look, what did we do wrong? What did we do right in terms of what I can control? And I think that uh, for me, there are a couple of things I would have liked to have done differently. You, know, you, you you study so hard you know people can say whatever they want you know i've been reading up on as many of these players that I thought were draft eligible for about three months literally middle of February I start really delving into it and going through the entire process um, and you 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 have so much information on so many of these people and you want to get it out and you want to tell the stories so like John Feliciano who uh, literally, with the guard from Miami, who was Forrest Gump. I mean, his mom, his foot was deformed, and his mom had braces put on that she called his magic shoes, you know, and you want to tell these stories. And I think at, at some point when you see these kids get drafted with these unbelievable stories for me, because no to me, no one cares about, and they shouldn't, what I think of as 40 timers, shuttle drillers, three cone speed. That's what we have Mel and Todd and for. I want to set the stage for those guys. I want to make sure I get the best information out of them. And if I have something interesting that I perceive or my producer perceives to be interesting, I want to share that with people. And we, we did so much prep this year, and we found so many stories. I think we went a little overboard, just my perspective here of maybe telling too many stories and, and not keeping huh. up with, with the picks maybe a little better. So that's something I'm going to try and work on for next year although you read this stuff and your heart goes out to some of these kids like Maudlin, the kid out of Louisville who grew up in 16 foster homes. He grew up in 16 foster homes. How do you not share that success and see how he's turned it around, especially when you have the stories like Lyle Collins and Shane Ray and P.J. Williams and, you know, Kenny Gregory, all these guys that are completely effing it up, for lack of a better term, messing it up, and you have these guys that are overcoming long obstacles. You want to share those stories with those guys, and
2: I think perhaps
0: in hindsight – I got a little too carried away on that part. I'll try and sort of reel that in a little bit for next year.
2: That's really interesting. I always think of the Al Michaels quote. I think it was in the Playboy interview he did actually where he said, we're always trying to chase uh, the perfect game as as a broadcaster in his specific case. And he says, you know, I'm never going to feel like I get there. And if I do, um, I maybe should retire because it means I'm not working as hard. And with interviewing, I always think of that quote uh, at the end when I evaluate it, you know, uh, what did I? What, what question did I miss? And if I can't find one, I, I get nervous. But uh, last thing, uh, going forward, the draft is over now, and draft season might be the longest season in the NFL, or at least it feels that way. What are the stories that you're really interested in seeing play out now that draft is over? Uh, what, what interests Trey Wingo about the league going until the next thing?
0: Well, for me, it's everything. I mean, and I know that sounds cliche or whatever, but – you know, I love football. You know, much in the way that, and specifically the NFL. I love football the way a baseball guy is called a seam head because all you know, all he wants to do is talk. about I'm, you know, people are like, how can you talk about the NFL all year long in NFL Life? I'm like, it's easy because I enjoy it. It's fun. I, I like everything about it. I'm curious to see what the plan is for Randy Gregory, uh, in Dallas. I'm curious to see how Greg Hardy, Randy Gregory, get together. Then what the plan is, the Cowboys say they have in mind for keeping these guys on the straight and narrow. I'm curious to see if, if uh, the Seahawks can get over what was a, a crushing, a crushing defeat. They should have won the Super Bowl. It was right there, and they just messed it up, you know, and yeah. how, how do they get past that? I'm curious to see what, what Bill Belichick does now without Darrell Rebus and Brandon Browner and Vince Wilfrick, and Wilfrick may be the, uh, the hardest one to replace because what he meant in that locker room. And of course, they got Malcolm Brown, who just fell to them in the first round. I'm curious to see what Rex Ryan does in Buffalo with another great defense and maybe the worst quarterback situation that he had in New York with the Jets. (laughs) He went to the one place where it may be worse. I'm curious to see if Chip Kelly really is smarter than everybody else because I don't see it. And and this is just my theory. I think that he knows whenever he wants, he can go back and get any college job because he's a proven winner in college. But the real test for Chip Kelly for me going forward is can he adapt his system to work in the NFL. The two differences for me are when you're at Oregon, you only have your quarterback for two years. That's why you run him so much, because you don't care if he gets a bunch of hits. You only need him for two years. You need him for 10 in the NFL. And can you play the way you want to play on offense and not wear out your defense when you can only dress 46 players every Sunday or Monday or Thursday, as opposed to 75 or 80 on college game day? That's why some of these players like Deion Jordan and Eric Armstead, the kid out of Oregon this year that went to San Francisco, you have a hard time finding them on tape sometimes because they're not on the field. He'll go three or four deep on that defensive line rotation, so now you're beginning to wonder is he flashing because he's fresh or is he flashing because he's really that good? And I think that's the biggest challenge for Chip going forward.
2: Yeah, I think you mentioned the Seahawks coming back. I'm interested to see how the Packers do too because the Super Bowl oh. is right there for them. and they That game was over yeah. five different times. <laughs> yeah.
0: Five different times. And forget the onside kick. Uh, who was it? Uh, was, it uh, that had the, was it Shields that had the last interception? And yeah, he that sat... slid.
2: He slid down. Yeah, yeah.
0: Do you, I mean, if you, we, 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 watched, we went back and watched the tape. At, at the minimum, he gets 30 yards. He yeah. probably scores. There were offensive linemen and Russell Wilson in front of him. Gosh. And Julius Peppers, God bless him, is telling him to sit down. Yep. Now, that's not a give-up play. That's, you 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 keep now you hold two hands two arms wrapped around the ball like it's your baby, but you I mean at the worst you're getting a, a chip shot field goal and that, then the game's over. I'm curious to see how the Seahawks are, re, are received going into Green Bay. Green Bay always has the most polite fans in the world. Not so sure they're going to be so polite to the Seattle Seahawks considering the last two times those two have met. In, in crazy situations. I know there was a season opener this year,
2: but the Monday night, the fail Mary, right. the replacement refs, and replacement right. reps, and then the crazy finish to the NFC title game. Wow. They're building quite the history. Trey Wingo is very kind to give us this much time, and he's at Wingo's, W I N G O Z, on Twitter. Uh, he's got 880,000 followers. Uh, check it out. Don't go there if you're going to be an a-hole, though, please. Uh, (laughs) Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I just don't have to respond. Right. Nobody needs that. And, of course, he's on ESPN, uh, the NFL show daily. Uh, All this stuff, I'm sure, will be covered in greater detail. Thank you so much for all the time. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, mention that I I maybe didn't? uh, Mr. Hoffheimer didn't give me anything specifically. Was there anything you wanted to uh, put out there? No, I'm good, brother. Don't worry about me. Thank you so much for all the time. I really enjoyed it. Appreciate it. You got it, dude. Talk to you soon. All right. Wow. Got to thank Trey Wingo for being on the podcast today. Just can't have guys like Trey Wingo on every week. I wish we could, but when we get them in and they give us 35 minutes and it's as awesome as that was, makes me really happy to to be doing this podcast for sure. Uh, We recorded that on Tuesday. It's Thursday right now as I record this book club update, which is a sketchy one. Uh, I recorded an interview with Mike Woods, which you'll hear next, on Wednesday. And uh, Don should be here any minute to do uh, three things and one last thing with me. So uh, we recorded this over three days, basically, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And um, in that period, I've been trying to uh, get a definite for the book club book of the month this month. And um, initially, I tried a book called The Game, Inside the Secret World of Major League Baseball's Power Brokers. And it's by a guy named John Pessa. And I tweeted him and asked uh, if there was a contact, never heard back. So I researched the... uh, publisher and I emailed them still haven't heard back so I don't know uh, where we stand with the game inside the secret world of Major League Baseball's power brokers but I will admit I'm losing interest in it quickly the other book uh, and we would do them both obviously uh, but if we only had a chance at one I hope it's this one uh, how to be a man and other illusions by Duff McKagan uh, Duff was obviously the basis for Guns N' Roses and Velvet Revolver and a band called Walking Papers. He's a huge Seattle Seahawks fan, and he was actually on our show way back, I think in 2011. It was definitely when we were still at the other studio, and I think to this day, it's still probably the uh, the most downloaded podcast. Sent uh, an email to that publisher, the publicist's name, and email is right on the uh, website, which was great. And she did get back to me and said, yeah, she'll run it by Duff. So I guess uh, Duff is making the decisions about publicity, not the publi- publicist. Uh, she was also the publicist for the Adam Lazarus book, uh, The Rivals, that we featured. And obviously, Adam has been a great friend, uh, has guest hosted the podcast, and is getting ready Truly, Lisa Redskins' book, which will be a book club book of the month of September. And we'll have Adam in probably uh, hosting that day as well as getting interviewed and uh, will do a really great thing for Adam with his book. So I'm hopeful that uh, Duff will like the idea of being back on and letting us feature uh, How to Be a Man. Uh, the cool thing about this book is there's also a song that goes with it, uh, pretty cool, a pretty cool song, which you can get. It's out already, and uh, Duff sings, and I'll admit, hopefully he doesn't hear this, I'm sure he's not a regular listener, uh, I don't necessarily love him as a singer. Uh, and he does sing on it. But it's a pretty solid uh, pretty solid song for sure. And um, hopefully we can get this book. I, I really want to do it. Jerry Cantrell and Izzy Stradlin are on the, the song that goes with the book. So hopefully we can get that. I'm working on it. Uh, last I heard, the publicist was going to run it by Duff. It comes out on the 12th of March. And it's called How to Be a Man. And uh, hopefully that will be the book club book of the month. So with that said, we are going to take a break and come back with Michael Woods from the dot you. Sure. Our next guest is from Massachusetts and is a graduate of Ohio Wesleyan University. He's been covering boxing since 1990 and is the main man at thesweetscience.com. Uh, he's a former fighter himself and is making his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sports sportscaster's welcome to Michael Woods. What's going on, Michael? How are you doing? I,
4: how you doing, my man? Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate
1: it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's the... it's. It's a weird day, I guess, in the United <laughs> States when two of the biggest sporting events are a horse race and a boxing match. Right. I mean, that's hey, a very old weird, school...
4: Weird and boxing go hand in hand, man.
2: Yeah, it's an old school, you know, Ameri- Americana kind of day.
4: That's right, brother.
2: I'm with you. Um, it's weird because obviously we knew going in that this was going to be a, a a huge event. Um. Pacquiao and Mayweather has been talked about. What did they say? Five years in the making. They kept saying was kind of seems like a hundred years. In right. retrospect, I'm I'm already over it,
4: man. But yeah. we got it. We got to rehash it. We got to keep talking about it. We got to dissect. We got to do the post mortem. So I'm with you.
2: Yeah, I got a few questions about that. <laughs> sure. Man. Um, first of all, obviously watching on TV was very. Uh, the buzz was very uh, pro Pacquiao. What was uh, okay. what was being in Vegas like in general? Um, the weekend of the fight, leading up to the fight. Being there for a big, big fight in 2015, what was Vegas like, the mood in Vegas?
4: It wasn't what I expected. The electricity, the buzz, the mood was not what I expected. And it disappointed. Periodically, I got there Tuesday. Periodically, people would check in. How you doing? How, what's the buzz out there? And I said, ah, it's a prize fight. You know, it is what it is. And so it got me thinking to myself, man, are you underwhelmed with this for some particular reason? One of my friends texted me and said, man, you're a, you're hard not to crack. You're hard to move the needle on. And then I realized, just looking back, I realized come fight night with the subpar main event, the subpar undercard, the fact that the arena was not even 70% full uh, 45 minutes before the main event. The lack of electricity, I mean, I'm talking the spine-tangling that I would have expected. The lack of the decibel-level explosions that you would have expected that I have heard periodically in big bites throughout my life, they weren't there. They just weren't there. Part of the problem is this, as someone pointed out to me yesterday, they said, which? It's because all the 1% was there. The regular right. Joes couldn't afford the tickets. They weren't in the building. Those are the ones that use their lungs. It's like playoff hockey, playoff basketball, playoff baseball, etc. The mood in those arenas and stadiums during those occasions is often lesser than it is during the regular season, because the regular Joes and James aren't there. All in all, it was a disappointment.
2: That's a really interesting point about the one percenters. I mean, it's obvious that there's a lot of one percenters there when you got celebrities in the twelfth row. You know, right. or the thirteenth right. row. Guys who probably haven't sat guys and gals who haven't sat that far back for anything in, in fifteen years It's kind of funny actually. You think it, about it. it totally like, is funny. Now listen you know, think about it. I like was that. some I
4: was somewhat slightly relegated. I am not actually a favorite of Team Mayweather. Okay, that was made apparent to me during the lead up. Floyd uh, clamped down on me during a conference call, called one of my questions terrible. It wasn't terrible. It was a a fine question. He gave a great answer to it. Floyd Mayweather Sr. went at me twice during the uh, fight week one time, calling me a member of Team Pacquiao the next day, asking me uh, rhetorically if I do boxing. I said, well, I, I know boxing moderately, maybe not as well as you, but he tried to belittle me in front of a whole crowd of media as a matter of fact, my friend, the fight writing Dean Tom Hauser told me afterwards he wanted to grab the microphone, come to my defense, and, and chide Mayweather Sr. for being churlish and tell him he owed me an apology, but he was not offered the microphone. And subsequently, actually, his credential was yanked on Saturday morning, he believes, because he went on uh, CNN to do an interview with Rachel Nichols, who also had credential problems and right. changed that she was not furnished a credential as well. Uh, my point there being that that is part of the build-up, part of the vibe in Las Vegas that I dealt with as a member of the media uh, who is often at odds in an antagonistic zone with the Mayweather people. Um, that that was absolutely part and parcel of covering this fight. And, and all in all, I was struck at the end of the day, after this man won this match and made up to $200 million or whatever it was, I was struck by the fact that at a post fight press conference there was a distinct lack of joy. There was a lack of happiness. This wasn't a man who had just won a fight and was on top of the world. He was angry and defiant and boastful and a whole a whole number of other things, but there was there didn't seem to be any happiness there. And that struck me as strange.
2: I'm gonna say so I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm just gonna say that when you put everything together from the last week, you, you can't come to any conclusion other than Floyd Mayweather is not exactly the greatest ambassador for the for the sport of boxing. I mean, no, no he's not. You know, I mean, no, he's not. You the have character and his character,
4: the character he plays, and uh, too much of his character behind the scenes. Listen, I'm not saying he's a fully bad man. None of us are saying that. But what we know, and uh, the court cases, and and being locked up. Listen, once you hear and read about uh, the fact that, uh, you know, his own children entered into public record, that he was beating the mother of their mother in front of them, that's hard to get out of your head. You know, you can separate, you could try to separate and separate the athlete from the man. And actually, I think I do a really damn good job. If you read my fight story from that night, there aren't many media members that called it wire for Floyd Mayweather than I did. So no one, but no one can accuse me of saying, you know, Mike, you pick and choose. right? You roll a team back. Heel. No, I do a great job, I believe, of compartmentalizing. And I can uh, basically tip my cap to him as far as being a, a technician in the ring and doing the sweet science to an A-grade level. However, it's hard
2: for me to separate the character and the character he plays from the athlete. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with a good fight having... A hero and a villain and if if Pacquiao or excuse me if Mayweather feels like he's in a place that he has to be the villain I don't mind him playing that up but it really is detrimental to the sport when you're pulling credentials of women like powerful women like Michelle Beadle and Rachel Nichols and when you're taking microphones from well respected boxing guys like uh, Tim Graham in the post fight interview I can't remember exactly what he asked right uh, uh but he had the mic gang from him. No, I didn't
4: know that. Can you inform me of that right uh, now?
2: Yeah. Jeez, um, I'll Google while we're talking. I'll let you know exactly yeah. what it was. But yeah, Tim had the mic uh, taken from him after asking a question mm-hmm. on Fight Night. I'm just mm-hmm. going to look it up. People can bear with at us the here. Post fight pressures. Yeah, sure, at the post fight pressures. No, I didn't know that.
4: There
0: are just there are cool. just
4: so too many examples, and it's. And it it absolutely is correct. It leaves me wanting a different person to uh, lead the bandwagon, someone who treats us uh, respectfully, and there should be a degree of mutual respect. And you cannot listen. You cannot play both sides. You cannot play both sides of the fence. You cannot play up the villain role and soak up the hatred, which translates to pay-per-view buys, and then be so angry about it, and so disgusted by it, as Mayweather was so much, he tried, he absolutely uh, came off as uh, churlish and earth when, when the uh, good versus evil construct was put to him. It leaves it me believe that he's living in a bubble. Does he not understand? I believe he doesn't, in fact, understand. You can't have it both ways. You can't have wear the black hat and then complain when people don't treat you like you want to be treated. You can't have it both ways, and this is a, a situation where it comes off a... Like, It's almost childish. A five-year-old doesn't understand uh, the fact that there are nuances and gradations in life. The gray area doesn't understand. And it's almost like that. You can't have it both ways. And so it's frustrating for us to deal with him.
2: Tim Graham says, I asked Aram how unfair it was for fans who spent $99 that an injured fighter was sent to the ring. Microphone was taken from me. No foul-up allowed.
4: Wow. Props to him for asking a great question.
2: I didn't realize it was him that,
4: that asked the question. Um, he did He did get to ask that question, and I guess maybe they could argue, they would say, well, you know, we want to have other people uh, have their say in too many press conferences, I have been in too many conference calls and press conferences where one media member attempts to dominate the situation. So I can't exactly speak to what the dynamic was there. Um, overall, though, yeah, the us versus them, uh, media versus promotion scenario was present uh, all the way through, and it's symptomatic of uh, of the Mayweather people, not the Pacquiao people. The Pacquiao people uh, understand how the game is played. They understand that the media is there to inform and to entertain and actually functions in regards to them. Basically, it's free advertising. Think about it. Why? Why would you antagonize us? Why would you look down upon us? We are the actual main drivers of disseminating the message of your product. And yet you treat us uh, disrespectfully. It's mind-boggling, actually. Uh, But then again, it's not. Because when people get to a position of such power and such money is in play, it warps them. It absolutely, unequivocally warps them. And if you can go back to just a couple years ago, I remember seeing Floyd Mayweather Sr. while he was on the outs with his son... And he said, well, the reason is this. Uh, Money got to him. Money changed him. Money warped him. And it struck me that at the post-fight press conference, as Mayweather was talking about how he might gross up to $200 million from this event, father had his head down, and he looked like he was in the losing corner. He didn't look happy. And and was that because his his son didn't fight up to his expectations and acting in the aggressive manner that he would have liked or that his payday, uh, you know, isn't the percentage that he wants for? I don't know. It's not for me to. It's not for me to say. He's uh, you know so contentious with the media himself that he discourages actual that back and forth. But again, uh, the same thing. It struck me. There was no joy. There was no joy there. Where did you have to win the fight of your life?
2: Yeah, I want to just tell you real quickly. I know that if if uh, Mr. Mayweather is saying you don't know much about boxing, I, I can't imagine what he'd say about me. But this is what I. What I watched anyway, and what I've seen, right. I've seen uh, a fight where there was one time in the fourth round, I think, that I felt like Pacquiao had a chance. He got he got some shots in. He had Mayweather on right. the ropes. Mayweather couldn't slide out like he had been. He right. maybe had a chance there. And then, other than that, right. I've seen just a domination of a guy who yep. couldn't be hit. Couldn't be hit square. Uh, got the majority of the harmful punches in, and just very methodically and mm-hmm. almost uh, strategically, just dominated the other guy. And when Mayweather, mm-hmm. or excuse me, Pacquiao, said in the ring uh, he thought he won the fight, I just immediately thought, how could he have thought that? So right. that's basically right. what I, what I, as an untrained eye, uh, but someone who enjoys a nice boxing. Match. Uh, That's what I what I've seen. How close was I? I, To me, you're spot on. You're right there with me. I mean, we could we could switch roles, and if if I don't
4: know jack about boxing, then you don't either. Uh, We're at the same level there. I saw the same thing. However, in regards to Pack Allen, not understanding and not not believing that he lost, if I do understand that they're in the fog of war right afterwards, and uh, they don't have the benefit of stepping back. They're in the bubble. They're in the arena, and. uh, your brain is playing tricks on you there, and your brain, your brain is just simply trying to get through the moment. So I don't uh, attach too much import to what he says afterwards. I'm not there in disbelief, and a uh, slight surprise, yes, but understand that these people are not the, like you and me, and often uh, their ability to delude themselves, to will themselves out of what uh, is uh, an apparent reality into uh, an, another zone, can lift them up and can help them do things that they ordinarily wouldn't have been able to do. Sometimes that translates to a delusion in a in a sort of negative sense. And that was one of those situations
2: I don't hold that against them. I believe that uh, after he watches the fight he'll probably see it more like we do and say, you know, yeah you say I didn't win that fight. Yeah, you know, we don't get the benefit of seeing every second of the corner and right. obviously when you're there uh, right. covering it you don't you don't even get as much as, as we did at right. home but I was really surprised in the 11th and 12th round that Freddie Roach in the corner wasn't saying to him, "Look, you got to knock him out." I was really right. surprised that there was never a point where Pacquiao just said, "All right, right. I'm going to go for this at all costs. I'm not right. I'm going to and it just never felt like that happened. So right. it made me feel that yeah, he must have believed that he was winning because he never <laughs> Uh, went that way is that on freddie roach to never i didn't see him say it maybe he did you know i didn't get every second but he certainly didn't fight like a guy who was ever told you got to try to knock this guy out
4: right
2: well great actually great question thing is this when you look at the punch that
4: the CompuBox box numbers at the end they threw a comparable number of punches so it's entirely possible that in fact roach did believe that it was just a real close fight and he didn't he didn't feel that i'm going to take it on face value and and believe that he probably did believe that listen um in this sport and and even to, i've covered it for many years and, and even i in retrospect was a little bit surprised that um what was coming out of the Pacquiao camp and him Roach telling us how great Manny was looking and, uh, you know, strong as ever and, and all that. And then it comes out and in reality, um, he's dealing with a torn rotator cuff four weeks before the event. So, um, you, we always must remember, and I have to remind myself at times, this is a promotion and this is the boxing business. And these people that we speak to are tasked with, uh, selling a product. And, um, was there a full degree of revelation that I would have liked or even close to it? No. In retrospect, uh, I wish that, in fact, Freddie had not gotten on the phone with me and said, no, you know what, I'm just going to shut it down and we're not going to do any media uh, rather than furnish uh, this belief that uh, there, this statement that Manny is looking like uh, uh, King Kong in, in training and what have you, because apparently that just wasn't the case. So um, I, I think... Uh, the teaching moment here uh and something I need to be taught and retaught taught and reminded every now and again that um we are the media we can ask the questions but we cannot uh ensure that the answers are one hundred percent accurate and that these people are selling a product product and doing the promotion and uh uh you it's got to be by
2: everywhere i think a little bit in regards to boxing, all, at all times. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. You know, very much yeah. more than many fights recently, it felt like these two guys had uh, the future, to some degree, of the sport in their hands when they walked right. into the ring uh, on Saturday. In the sense that they asked for a lot of money uh, to attend right. the fight, to watch the fight on pay per view, right. uh, to watch it commercially somewhere. No matter where you were watching it, uh, someone paid a lot of money for that and, right. And. All too often in boxing uh there can be a, a sense of I put my money in and I didn't get right. I didn't get what I, I didn't it's not like oh the guy knocked not I didn't, get what, out. I I I didn't, didn't get, get what I paid what for. I didn't get
4: what I paid for. I paid a premium to watch this and I expected a damn good price, right? It was gilded the pride of the century and it, and I got and it didn't deliver. Right, it I didn't got deliver. Work. Absolutely they didn't deliver and you know, shame on the athletes and shame on the promotion. Now, unequivocally. Unfortunately, they're going to be cheered up by the fact that they're going to be bring home massive paychecks. However, nice. um, it's not all wine and roses with these guys. You know, there is a class action lawsuit being lodged against them. Yeah. I and they will have to answer for all this. So it's not as if they're skating uh, clear and, and chortling all the way to the bank. Uh, questions will be asked and answered. Listen, I come from this, this framework, this filter. Um, Any time that sums of money and and grow to such a humongous extent, it warps people. And this is not just boxing. This is uh, real estate and housing and compensation for CEOs and everything. And it becomes warped and it becomes crazy and it becomes outsized. Expectations get too high, and it becomes uh, it becomes a. Uh, It just it just warps things to such a degree, and this is one of those situations. Once you start getting out of the millions into the tens of millions and beyond, then it's just like, huh, it doesn't even resonate. I I can't even comprehend it, and expectations grow too high. And this would have had to be uh, Hagler Hearns for everyone to come out of it and say, yeah, I got my money's worth. It just wasn't going to happen. Right. and um, so these guys are going to have to live with that. There, there is going to be a blowback. They had to fight the perfect fight, a great action fight for that. Um, Mayweather, does he care? I don't know if he cares. I do believe he cares more than he lets on. He tells us all the time, well, you guys can write what you want, good or bad. It keeps me relevant. Ah, but then at the end of the night at the press conference, he says, "All you guys that wrote these nasty stories that said I was a coward. I want you to write good about me and I'm going to spend all day tomorrow reading about
2: it. So
4: which is it? (laughs) Do you care or do you not care?
2: Well you know I don't think that Mayweather has to apologize for the way he fought. I think he fought the way Mayweather fights and the way Mm -hmm. Mayweather has compiled a 48-0 record. I I never expected them to not be themselves for the what? at the cost of entertaining us but do you think that the Pacquiao, Pacquiao and the Pacquiao camp uh, mm-hmm. made a mistake sending him out with an injury in a fight that you're asking people to pay these prices for was that a mistake did they is this class action mm-hmm. lawsuit is it is that something you think is fair or mm-hmm. is it mm-hmm. you know hey athletes play hurt all the time and what? I'm still debating it in my head my friend okay, I'll be honest with not you not sure
4: um, Floyd will tell you, and he did tell you after the fight, listen, I came in with injuries too. Arms, shoulders, hands. His hands are horrible, people tell me behind the scenes. They're horrible, they're brittle. So at what point was he, At how, how diminished was he going in versus how diminished Manny was? Uh, impossible to say, right? Right. I, I, I would say this, I think Manny went 100%. I don't think he does appreciably better. So... That leads me to say, ah, well, maybe they had the right idea. The show must go on. They did consult with doctor or doctors, I believe, um, viable ones. I, I don't think they saw some witch doctor in the Philippines. And, you know, he pokes needles in and saw something like, you know what I mean? There was yeah. I think there, they saw credible people, and the credible people said, yeah, this guy can fight. Uh, a- absolutely. If you've been prize fight fighting for any length of time, you're going to go in at less than one hundred percent. Some portion of your, portion of portions of your body. I think all fighters know that, realize that, and they will actually tell you that uh, they hide injuries going into a fight all the time. Uh, think of it this way: He was supposed to disclose on his medical form to the Nevada Commission what the nature of his injury was well there's a degree of mistrust uh mayweather is a cottage industry he is uh, the economy in in nevada uh two times a year he pulls the economy train so if it was disclosed that mary pacquiao had an injured right shoulder i have no inside information on this but i can imagine team pacquiao in top rank saying yeah uh it is not in our best interest to disclose this why because it because word is going to leak out uh, it is only natural, it is only understandable, and Mayweather is going to know it, and he's going to exploit it. So from that perspective, are they supposed to disclose it? Sure. Should they have disclosed it? I, I, I believe they should have. But uh, do I see and understand reasons why they didn't? Absolutely, I do.
2: Right, and and that's fair, but if you're not going to disclose it, I guess you can't really complain about not getting the shot afterwards, though.
4: Well, they did disclose it. They, they believe that they did disclose it through the testing agency, USADA, which I believe was supposed to be in concert with the Nevada Athletic Commission. Okay. I think the ball was dropped as far as communication goes. I think that possibly um, they should have been in contact with, with Nevada, and I possibly believed they were gone to, and uh, the ball was dropped in communication. Listen, we're still all trying to figure this out as far as testing goes and this is one of the complaints and one of the reasons that maybe they haven't moved forward with more uniform testing, who's going to do it? Who's going to be responsible for it? Well, the Nevada Athletic Commission is not uh, in the business of testing as rigorously, and this is not their specialty. So what, what happened? It gets outsourced to a, to, an agent, to an agency. And that agency, theoretically, is supposed to be communicating uh, As best they can, everything that is pertinent to the commission. Wouldn't that have been something that would you believe and I believe would have been pertinent to uh, to, to tell the commission? Where did the ball get dropped there? Uh, that, that's what is going to be hashed out, and I believe there is an element, was well, an element of simple miscommunication here.
2: Let's finish up by uh, by by looking forward and looking at some big picture stuff. Uh, first sure. of all, do you think these guys ever fight again? Well, it's money that matters. And uh, I
4: believe uh, if a year passes, they can sell this thing again. We always must remember that how we're feeling emotionally right now is not how we're going to be feeling emotionally in uh, three months. It's like a love affair, right? The you pain you're feeling in your heart after a breakup, it's not going to be there down the line, but it's impossible to consider that at this time. So three months from now, we're not going to feel the same way. Uh, a year from now, not going to feel the same way. And if in fact people do believe, the public does believe that the right shoulder being hurt from Pacquiao affected him greatly and a healthy Pacquiao does appreciably better, then they can sell the fight. That's going to be up to the public to decide whether they want to do it. Uh, I'll be, I'll be watching because that's my job. I think you are going to get a healthy segment of people that uh, never buy pay-per-view broadcasts and uh, absolutely uh, would not buy a rematch to, between these two. They believe they have a dirty taste in their mouth that they're not going to be getting out anytime soon. I've been walking around polling people, strangers in the street, did you watch it? What do you think? And a fair number of them are saying, no, I'm not I'm not buying another one again. And, and I believe some of them. So is there an appetite for it today? Uh, for me, absolutely not. For masses of the public, I believe absolutely not. But talk to me again in six months, and
2: let's revisit it. Uh, Mayweather said he's going to fight in September. Uh, It would be the fight to tie uh, the record at forty nine and zero. Do we have any idea who's on the radar for this? I feel like Amir Khan is the uh, option number one. He brings uh, talent and hand speed. And a large fan base from the UK. It makes sense from several different perspectives. It would be a fight that I would be interested to watch. Mayweather says that's it, though, uh, and that he doesn't love boxing as much as he used to, kind of downplayed the meaning of the record. You don't believe that, though, right? I I believe it's 0%. Right, he's going 0%. for 50-0. That, that's the legacy uh, uh, Yeah, it's, wants, just, right? it's, it's,
4: it's leveraging, and it's uh, gamesmanship, and it's not even particularly clever, and I'm not going to give it any credence, and
2: I'm not going to pull water for him and posit that, and, and uh, I'm not doing his work for him. Gotcha, agreed. Um, two weeks in a row I watched uh, a fight. I watched the heavyweight fight in Madison Square Garden, um, right. and I know that some people thought Saturday was boring, Oh, man, did I think the one before that was boring. I yep. mean, the champion held to the point that most yep. of the match was the ref yelling at the champion for holding. Yep. Um, just a really disappointing night. And again, right. which what should have been a great night for boxing. Madison Square Garden is sold out. It's on then, uh, not pay-per-view and not free TV, but it's on HBO, right. uh, which right. is a lot more accessible. And uh, that stunk up the joint. Then we have next week, the, the fight of the century. Right. And that's, a, a, a obviously as we talked about something you can't live up to, uh, right. but unfortunately many people walked away with the sour taste in their mouth. So where does the sport of, uh, boxing go from here? Um, because right. I know a lot of people said, uh, Hey, the big winner was UFC and, right. um, I think yep. those people are maybe a little short-sighted because they forget that a lot of times you get a UFC pay-per-view and the big Absolutely. fight is boring. Um, so that's a little silly. But uh, the real question is, uh, where where is boxing now after these big two weeks? Uh, where has the sport been left and what is the future? Kind of a big macro uh, question there. Right. Uh, for boxing fans, hope always springs eternal. I was
4: disgusted yesterday, but I wake up this morning I uh, shake the crust out of my eyes, and I look forward, and I say, hey, we've got a big boxing match on Saturday night. Canelo, he likes to bring it. James Kirkland really likes to bring it. Guns will be a-blazing. Bombs will be a-throwing. And guess what? I think it's going to be a good match. So we're going to shake off the stink from the past two weeks, and I don't disagree with you. It was stink one and stink number two, and we're going to look forward. Maybe it's also a question of, maybe it's a matter of uh, shame on me, and moving forward, I will say this about, backtrack quickly to Klitsch, though, uh, uh, shame on me, uh, shame on him for being presenting himself as the baddest man on the planet and then fighting in that manner. That's yeah. not the manner in which the baddest man on the planet is supposed to fight, and that's been noted by me. And for the record, uh, I will have that in my mind in the lead-up to the next fight that I will be covering for him or covering a little bit less than I would have before.
2: We always, for years, said the biggest fight, the, the money on the table, is this uh, Mayweather-Pacquiao. Uh, what is it now? What what fu- is there, Is there a... I know Canelo nothing. Canelo Cotto. What? Say that again?
4: Canelo Alvarez, who fights Saturday night. Yeah. He beats James Kirkland, and then Miguel Cotto who fights June 6th at Barclays Center against Daniel Giel. Both of those people win. They're on a collision course for a middleweight showdown, Puerto Rico versus Mexico in September in New York City.
2: Okay, I can get down with that. That sounds like fun. Yeah, man. Yeah, Yeah, we
4: look forward and we we react with hope. By the way, I saw Jesse Jackson. You talked about the uh, um, uh, boldface names, celebrities, 12 rows back. Um, I started to say my seat wasn't great. It was okay. It was inside the arena, so I can't complain that much. I was in the second-to-last press row on Saturday night. But two rows behind me was Jesse Jackson, Magic Johnson, and Spang. And probably a couple other guys that I didn't actually even know for the record. So those guys had worse receipts than me,
2: so how much can I complain? <laughs> did anyone walk by you or that you saw there, and you're like, wow, that's cool, they're here?
4: Uh, Louis C.K. I Louis went over C. and
2: said K. hi to him, and
4: I said, hey, man, listen, thanks for uh, booking my friend Heather Hardy, the Brooklyn-based boxer, on your show on April 30th. Uh, I thought she did well, and he said, oh, she did really well. And, and, and his uh, gal pal who was on his, the first Louis show, which ran on HBO, yeah. typed up and said, now it was actually me. I, I was responsible for booking her. So that was a nice little moment. He's kind of a coverage and he's not like the friendliest guy ever, but that was a nice little interaction, so I enjoyed
2: that. <laughs> he is at Woodsy1069 on Twitter. I mentioned the com. Is there any other places or things that you'd like to let our listeners know about the uh, happenings of Michael Woods? I appreciate you saying that. I also write for the ring website and on Friday night, I will be calling the blow by blow for top rank
4: boxing. They are having a show in Newark at the Prudential center, top by Shawnee Monahan and Glenn Tapia.
2: Thank you so much for all this time. I know some of this is probably getting really repetitive. Uh, so I appreciate you giving us some time and um, I really enjoyed it. I always love having you on and uh, definitely looking forward to, uh, to the next time.
4: Listen, I appreciate you having me. I appreciate people listening to me. I understand it's a it's an honor for me to be able to do it. Never gets boring. Thank you. Thank you Michael. Talk to you soon. Bye right, buddy. Be well.
2: All right, want to thank that beauty, Michael Woods. Love having him on the show. also want to thank Trey Wingo from ESPN and, of course, Bill Hofheimer for helping us uh, book Trey. appreciate that all the time. Uh, you can find this podcast, uh, last week's podcast, which featured Chris Burke and Jenny Vrentas, and next week's podcast, which will feature the return of Richard Deitch, all right. uh, who we haven't talked to in a bit, but he will be with us next week. At our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter, at sports underscore casters. You can find Don, uh, the sportscasters, at gmail.com. Oh, I forgot when you were looking, thinking about ideas for long, one last thing. We did get a few emails. Um, so I'll, I'll save it for next week because we'll make a bit out of it. Oh, good. So let's. we're still talking On how to enjoy the draft? Oh, no. no on on, things I should talk about? things you should talk about for oh, one last thing. We have like good. three emails right now. So let's promote this for a couple more weeks. What should Don do? Let's talk see about? how many we can get. I'm not letting Don know. He doesn't check the email. I don't. So we'll make a nice bit out of it. One of them is hilarious.
3: Should I talk about it like I'm an expert or just.
2: Two people Like sent things like, I want to hear Don's opinion on. Okay. You know, and it made sense. Like, oh, okay, I could see why they would want Don to say that. And then it's like. I'll give you a hint. One is nerdy. Okay. And one is, uh, you know, buffalo. Buffalo. Sure. Uh, and then the third one is hilarious. Like grocery sandwiches. Just Something mocking like us. Rant. Clearly oh. mocking us.
3: Okay, good. Oh, it's going to be like my basketball. Yeah, so oh, the good.
2: sportscasters at gmail.com. What uh, should Don talk about? And one last thing, you can also tweet us that. I think I said at sports underscore casters or at Don like sports. Although don't tweet him the idea because we're going to just kind of ambush him with them. Sounds good. And then maybe he can go through them, you know, one week at a time. We'll see what we'll do with it. <laughs> uh but yeah so that's all the plugs i think yeah www.sports-casters.com at sports underscore casters the sportscasters at com. go
3: all right one last thing for me this week and i hope i don't uh what's the term bury the lead and knock out one of the things but i'm just going to do a short sweet uh avengers review i saw the avengers uh it was late and i'm an old man i'm not really that old but I feel like an old man sometimes, and I have two kids, so I was tired. So I was fighting sleep watching the movie, but that is, that is no reflection on the movie that's me being tired. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. They throw a lot at you. There's a lot of heroes in it. If you've liked any part of Marvel Phase 1 or even Phase 2, they bring back just about every character. No Loki. So, like, I know there was a girl I was with that's a big Loki fan, and he doesn't even make an appearance. So, uh,
2: Is it centered around uh- – what's his name Ultron no Downey uh
3: essentially yes
2: uh he's Iron Man
3: right he's Iron Man yeah yeah. his uh things he does sets off the events of the movie but someone asked me if I like that or the first one better this one has more action but I said it's hard to say that because you can't see the Avengers for the first time again like after seeing the first Avengers so had this been the first movie, then maybe this would be my favorite one. Did
2: they do that thing they do where the end tells you what the next movie is going to be or something? Uh, is that them? That's them, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's the most blatant in this one than okay. maybe in any of the so other ones. So they do ones. do that again. Yeah. it's It follows along with the other end credit scenes. Not can the, we just say
2: spoiler alert real quick and you can just say it? Sure. Okay. So spoiler alert. Yeah, I'll give if you, you don't want to know this.
3: Everyone's probably... Right. Out anyway, but if you've seen the other ones, there's that Thanos, Thanos character. He's like the purple guy with like all the gold on him, and he just essentially says, uh, "I can't read the line exactly, but something like, I guess I'll have to do it myself." Okay. and that's the whole clip. So, gotcha. I mean, the Avengers three will center on Thanos. Now, Thanos is a big character in Guardians of the Galaxy, two. So they're gonna have to probably mesh them. Together. Now, this is a
2: big year for you because there was this was the first course. Right? And then we're going to have Batman Man versus, Man versus Superman. Ant- and then
3: Ant-Man the- is coming out. Uh, is that it? Am I missing one?
2: I thought there was a third thing that a trailer came out for, but maybe the trailer was saying it wasn't for a bit. Like a new Spider-Man or I don't- something. They talk about this. This turns into all the comic book shit heavy. Yeah, I'm sure someone will. There was two trailers that came out Ant- right when Avengers Ant-Man did. is
3: a big one. And I, I'm, I know I'm blanking to Oh, what? the Fantastic Four is getting a reboot again. So maybe, so maybe it's that, that one. I'm not sure if that's this year, but that looks pretty cool, actually. Way cooler than the ones they did before. But, yeah, the Avengers was great. If you loved the first and any of the other stuff, I mean, obviously you've probably already seen it or just assume it's going to be great. But it was. It was a lot of fun.
2: I was going to do a one last thing on Game of Thrones and how I have no idea what the fuck they're talking about or what happens on that show. Is uh, actually tweeting about it, and the author of the video game book. Um, what was the name of that video game book? You, you uh, t- uh, is it called Game Over?
3: Or I have it. No, it's at my office.
2: Something about uh, the rivalry. Console wars. To- Console wars. Uh, he was tweeting with me, basically saying, "Yeah, I don't know either." You know what? But for I'll all will save n- that
3: for the nerd stuff I get into, and like I do play Magic the Gathering and stuff like that, uh, and I I like Zelda, but that's about as deep into like. Gobliny, y Yeah, it's not medieval worlds. Like I'm not into Game of Thrones. I haven't seen any of any of the Lord of the Rings movies. You
2: know, you don't have HBO though, right? I mean, if you I do did, now, pro- I have, oh, I, you do now. I
3: do. Yeah, and I, I've never tried to catch up to it or anything. I just, I don't know. It doesn't interest me for some reason. Maybe it's great. I don't know.
2: It's not great. <laughs> anyway, I had to talk about something else instead, and I have written down in my notes the sad fall of Scott Wyland. Scott Weiland was the singer of Stone Temple Pilots. Everyone usually probably knows who the Stone Temple Pilots are. They had many hits in the 90s. Uh, maybe more radio hits than any band in the 90s except for Collective Soul. I think it might have been a tie. Uh, also a, a favorite band of uh, Howard Stern. Loves Weiland. Loves Stone Temple Pilots. Well, right now uh, Scott Weiland is touring with a band called The Wildabouts because the DeLeo Brothers... In STP, we're tired of his shit. Uh, He obviously is very sick in drug addiction. He battles it hard. He's battled it hard for years. He's been in and out and in and out of rehab and on the wagon and off the wagon. And sadly, right now, he's out there humiliating himself. Three things. Uh, One, as part of the tour, if you don't want just the $25 ticket, you can pay $175. Great. Uh, to be a VIP. Okay. It will get you a pre-signed poster. That's sweet. Um a chance for a picture. Okay. And in most venues a area of you know, good viewing. They're general admission shows but usually the Sure. At most venues I've heard they've roped off an area for people who've paid for this.
3: Now that would be cooler if it was the original STP, but still that's pretty cool. I mean And if
2: you're a huge Wyland Mark, right. okay, maybe I'll pay to get my picture with Wyland, get this autograph poster Absolutely. and get a nice spot.
3: Yeah, those nerd conventions like Comic Con, you have to pay to get like pictures with those people, and that's well not it,
2: way off the mark from that. At a show in Texas, uh, Weiland Wyland showed up late. And very angry. Uh, he told one fan to eat a bag of dicks. Uh, was rude and um, unkind to several others. Uh, his rep later tweeted an apology to those fans, but no mention a of a refund. Uh, take your sign poster. Uh, I guess he did refuse some pictures or didn't smile for them or didn't move properly. Just a disaster of a meet-and-greet. Then, uh, the other night, he got some run on TMZ, and if you know Scott Weiland, a star from the 90s, mostly is on TMZ, it probably isn't good. Right. Uh, Well, TMZ says this. Scott Weiland is adamant he was not high on drugs, including heroin, during a botched performance of the STP classic Vaseline, but admits something was off that night. Uh, Fans were shocked and concerned about Wyland, who, as we said, has struggled with substances, belted out a flat, uninspired version of a song with a dead glaze in his eyes during a performance again in Texas with this band, uh, The Wildabouts. Uh, His rep acknowledged it wasn't Scott's best work, but says it was a perfect storm of Scott being tired, having a couple of drinks before the show, which is not usually good for heroin users to be using alcohol, but who am I to judge? Um, And says the rep, um, the rep says to make things worse, Scott's earpiece went out during the show, and that made it difficult for him to stay on point. Mm. Um, The rep says, Good news. We've overnighted him a brand new pair of earbuds, and they will be there for his show in Baton Rouge again. Again, no word on any <laughs> refunds. Uh, refunds for the people of Texas. But we do have a clip of uh, the Wyland performance of Vaseline. I wanted to play for you, and then I'll come back with a few thoughts uh, on Wyland. Now, obviously, uh, that doesn't sound good, but it looks even worse. Yeah. I think they said die glaze in his eyes in the article. He doesn't
3: blink. like he, he looks like a little frail old man like moving around. I mean, once he starts to sing, he barely moves. But before that, he just
2: kind of stumbles. I wouldn't even call it stumbles. He just kind of like. My friend Eric is a huge STP fan. He has a tattoo of the album cover purple on his arm. Uh and the he is little Chinese dragon thing? Is that the purple album? Yeah. Okay. The, yeah. Uh and he's a huge uh apologist. Okay. For Wyland and said that he thinks he's passing drug tests in court because it's part of his custody battle. He needs to piss clean. Uh but alcohol and some prescription drugs that he needs for his psychotic sciatica uh oh boy are allowed. Uh so maybe it was a mixture of the alcohol and the prescription drug whatever it might be. I mean prescription and, drugs are nasty but it doesn't and, make it any better. And being tired um and uh having his ear and maybe it's all of that. But I will say this. He's got to he's got to come off the road. Oh yeah. Um clearly he he's not at his best. Uh y- how many songs what is the minimum amount of songs for a headliner? Charging $25 in your mind, go. It's a play-at-a-bar type scenario? let's are say, say, playing clubs.
3: Let's say 12 songs. Okay, that's
2: what they're playing. 12, 12 songs. 10 song set with a two-song encore.
3: I mean, that's not great. I mean, I, but I'm spoiled that by That is Jam's the playing. minimum. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: you could not go any less.
3: Because that's about an hour-ish, a little over an hour. So It's you, very short. Yeah, that- Especially
2: for someone with a, a catalog of work that... Wyland and STP has
3: right. I mean, we watched the Pearl Jam documentary, and they did some like eight song set lists and stuff like that. But that was when
2: they had zero albums out. So, right. So I mean, for, uh, yeah,
3: they got this catalog to play twelve. So songs. So he's
2: playing very few songs. He's charging a lot of money to some fans for something he clearly wants no part of. Yeah, that's the in that the meet the worst. and greet. I mean, you're charging. People who love you $175 to essentially meet you at your worst. Right. Uh, you're telling them to suck a bag of dicks. Uh, you're being you know, uh, miserable with pictures. And then uh, comedians talk about this all the time. There was a time when you could go and you could work out a bit and it could bomb. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter because it was just you and the six people in the random club that you went to that night. But now there's always someone with a camera. Yep. And – it might have been bad earplugs, it might have been being tired, it might have just been a few drinks. I don't know, but it is the high it's got to be the best club concert video I've ever seen, if you watch it, first of all, yeah, I mean, it's incredible quality, yep, and he looks awful. His reputation is bad as it is. I know he goes on these tours to try to prove to the guys in STP that he can do this. And that STP can th- do a thing again, because that's the best way that all of them can provide for their families and to make money. STP is a bigger draw than STP with some guy that's not sure. Wyland, yeah. or Wyland in some band called The Wildabouts. Right He's doing a lot of damage to himself, to his fans, to his legacy. And honestly, it's sad. And I'd hate for I watched a documentary just the other day about Kirk Cobain yeah and it's sad there's a really sad part uh where they're at his daughter's first birthday party Ugh. and he's clearly yeah. uh out of his mind on heroin and it's unbelievably heartbreaking and we've lost Kirk Cobain this era of music has lost Kirk Cobain and has lost um Lane Staley and has lost Andrew Wood and several guys have gone already and it'd be really sad if Wyland was next